So greetings, it's so good to be with you here. If you're just joining us, perhaps online, my name is Joel. It's my privilege to bring to you the word of the Lord. Uh, We actually just heard a sermon about church discipline. And now we're going to hear a whole lot from James about the personal discipline of Bible intake. As we return to the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. Friends, I just want to be very clear. Bible intake, taking in the Word of God, is the most critical discipline that a Christian must develop. And we're going to look at James 1, which is actually really fabulous help to encouraging us about this. How so, Joel? Well, let me help us lean into James here with an illustration from Donald Whitney. Imagine six-year-old Kevin, whose parents just bought him a guitar, enrolled him in lessons, and so now Kevin must spend one hour each day making chords, learning strums, playing scales, while he looks out the window at all of his buddies playing baseball. Day after day, chord after chord, strum after strum, scale after long scale, what a drag. But one day, an angel drops into Kevin's room and transports him to Carnegie Hall. Kevin suddenly finds himself in this massive theater where on stage is this amazing amazing guitar virtuoso. Kevin finds himself watching this guy's fingers just flying up and down the fretboard. The hall is just reverberating with notes, heavenly notes that just are blowing his mind. Kevin finds himself soon standing up on his chair, screaming as the concert ends. He's never seen such skill, never heard such amazing music. And then Carnegie Hall fades away. And Kevin finds he's back in his room. The vision's over. And the angel says to him, so Kevin, what do you think? And Kevin says, as only a six-year-old can say, wow! Who was that amazing guitarist? And the angel says, Kevin, that is you in a few years. That is why you must practice. Friends, do you think that Kevin's attitude about practicing his guitar is going to change? It's the same. When you see the goal of Bible intake, when your discipline has direction, it changes everything. Friends, James wants us to see who we are to become in this text, so we'll gladly do the hard work of taking in the life-giving, soul-saving word. So let's take in James chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. Now hear the word of our God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But... Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So let's imagine another boy. Growing up in a large family with many sisters and brothers, but he had one brother who just seemed to be from another world, a brother who was almost perfect, absolutely perfect in every way. And by that, I mean his brother never threw tantrums as a baby. As a young boy, he ate all his vegetables, always did all his chores and anything the parents asked. Your brother was always loving and spoke words of grace to all people. You watched him grow up strong and wise, and he was loved by God and men. If you were the James who wrote this letter, what would it have been like to hear as a boy, James, why can't you be more like your brother, Jesus? Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus as your half-brother? James was uniquely privileged to be as close physically to the Messiah as anyone has ever been. So this letter is unique because Jesus' perfect life shaped James' thinking as he wrote. In fact, it opens with James telling us that our goal, his goal is to help believers to become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. C.S. Lewis once said, the whole purpose of every Christian is to become a little Christ. James would agree. James wants us to become complete Christians, which happens by the power of the word from the beginning of our life to the end of our spiritual life. And James begins this by reminding us of how we became who we are. In verses 17 and 18, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, from whom, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying, this is my father's world. James describes God here as the father of lights. Just pause on that. This is God. <laughs> the one who has fashioned the stars. You've seen those recent pics from the Webb telescope? <laughs> Outside time and space, beyond us, the God who made all the stars. He's constructed massive galaxies across a vast cosmos. And yet God holds a special love for our little planet and more for you and I. He holds the Andromeda galaxy in one hand and he looks down on teeny tiny little us and he showers us with good gifts. That's what James is saying, to bless us including this good gift, our Bibles. Because it was his decision to make you his own in a special way. 
to bring us who were dead to life. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But he brought us to life through the word of truth. The father of the cosmos brought us forth. This is birthing language and made us his first fruits creatures. Look around at one another. Who are you? (laughs) You're the start of the father's new creation. You're the start of a new creation out of a dead creation. Now, if you're not a not yet Christian, this may sound strange. You don't feel dead. But the Bible tells the truth on us that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And the only thing, the only thing that can bring you to life is God's word of truth. Good illustration of this is in John 11 when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. Remember when Jesus tells them to roll aside the gravestone? <laughs> I grew up on the King James. So as a kid, I always would giggle when Martha says to Jesus, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Oh, the glories of Elizabethan era English. And what does Jesus do? He speaks forth the word of truth. Lazarus, come forth. And dead Lazarus is brought forth out of the grave. Friends, the word of God brings those who stinketh back to life. And that's you and I. Why is this book important? James says it is God's gift to you, to make you new. And now he says, you need to know something. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. After the word of truth makes you a new creation, there's a new rhythm. Quick, slow, slow. James wants us as new creatures to learn a new rhythm. We're to be quick, slow, slow. And friends, that doesn't come naturally. From our birth, we're actually hardwired to be the opposite. Slow, quick, quick. We have a three-year-old running around our house every week. She's often so slow to listen. My wife is laughing. We have to tell her sometimes to put on her listening ears. But she's super quick to speak. Even when she's eating. She's busy talking minion the whole time. That's what we talk about. She's super quick to speak. And we all know people who are quick of speech. Don't we say that? Use that phrase, quick of speech, or have a quick tongue. And we have to walk on eggshells around those people who have quick tempers. We live in a world where folks move to this rhythm. Slow, quick, quick. Slow, quick, quick. Sinclair Ferguson says, we're to learn this new rhythm and it's like a dance. Quick, slow, slow. I remember these steps from fifth grade. They tried to teach us how to dance when I was in elementary school fifth grade, I think it was, and they would give you a partner to practice with. And I remember my 10-year-old self thinking, I don't want to do this. Girls are gross. And I'm going to look bad when I step all over her toes. It was embarrassing torture that no 10-year-old should have to endure. We learned to dance, and the steps were quick, slow, slow. Actually, no, it was the other way around. It was slow, slow, quick, quick, slow, Quick, quick. Feel the rhythm there? Now that rhythm makes sense to the old man before you're 
created new. But James is teaching us we're to dance to a new beat, and it's kind of awkward at first. It actually requires supernatural power. Quick, slow, slow. I mention this because James had actually seen folks on the dance floor with their Bibles. You know that Jews dance even to this day? They have what's called a Torah dance, where they take the scrolls, the scripture in hand, and they dance around with them. I'm not sure that James, if he felt the same way that 10-year-old Joel did when he was dancing, but what I do know is that James witnessed someone step off the Torah dance floor, and he began to do these dance steps, this rhythm out in the world. James witnessed his brother Jesus doing a dance with the Torah in his life that no one had ever done, and Jesus' dance changed the world. It all became with step one in the morning, being quick to hear. There's this amazing verse about God's servant in Isaiah 50, verse 4. It, goes like, it says this, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus getting up in the morning, putting on his listening ears. Though Jesus was God, he didn't have the scriptures just downloaded into his brain. No, Jesus was human like us and had to take in the word daily. He had to be quick to hear. And as a result of Jesus every morning being quick to hear God's word, he was also quick to listen then to the hurting people he encountered in his life. And he was slow to speak. And when he did speak, he had an instructed tongue, shaped by first listening to God's word and thus able to speak a healing word to hurting souls in the world. And when Jesus did get angry, it was a righteous anger. Not so with you and I until we actually get down this new rhythm that James is trying to teach us. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now this word for filthiness was actually a medical term used by ancient doctors referring to earwax. And earwax would what stop people from hearing correctly. Do you see James' train of thought here? After telling us of a new rhythm, he says, so get the spiritual earwax out and receive the implanted word so its saving power can transform us. My friend, we can hear God's word, memorize a few verses, but it will have no effect if it doesn't actually penetrate to the core of our being. So how do we get into our beings? James says, must receive it with meekness. So what does it mean to receive the word with meekness? I remember my grandmother's hearing was really bad towards the end of her life. So when I stopped by, the TV would be blaring really, really loud when I walked in. And embarrassed, she'd always go over and immediately comment how the TV had a mind of someone who would turn itself up. And then she would do three things. Right after she would first turn down the volume, 
She would then sit across from me, focused on me, and her hand would go up to her ear to turn up her implant because she wanted to take in all that her grandson had to say. The question for us is, are we able to turn down the volume in our lives long enough to actually take in the word? Is your hearing as good as it once was? Receiving the word with meekness is actually a posture. It means turning off all the distractions and noise of this world, finding a quiet spot, sitting down and preparing ourselves. It's to say to God, all I want to do right now is just hear your word with no reservations. Teach me. I need your wisdom and truth. I've read this passage a hundred times, but there's more here that you want me to know. Friends, if you're a Christian, it's actually this word that brought you to life. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Paul speaks about this implanted word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Is the implanted word actually working in you? That's why I want to encourage us all to prioritize the word each and every day. It's living and active so long as we're receiving the implanted word with meekness. Now, that's actually a really strange thing. I keep saying it, but think about it. How are we supposed to receive the word that is already inside us? To save our souls, we must receive what is already inside us. James, how do you receive something that's already inside you, that's implanted? We're just upstairs eating, and if Mike had handed me one of those peanut butter cookies and said, receive this peanut butter cookie, Joel, I would thank Mike and eat it up. But after it's inside me, Mike wouldn't say, receive that donut, Joel, or receive that cookie, Joel. Or I would say, I already did, Mike, it was great. <laughs> so whatever James is saying, it cannot be like that cookie. So what does James mean by receiving something that's already implanted? I love what John Piper has to say about this. He says the implanted word is like oxygen. Remember, we were corpses. And then the Father of Lights brought us back to life. Like CPR. God breathed oxygen into us. The word of truth and then we're now alive. We were resuscitated by God. The word now being that oxygen inside us. And I'm looking at all of you here, and it looks like all of you are alive. A few of you, maybe barely. That's a good sign. Don't anybody pull you to keys on me. I know we just ate. But the reason you are and I are alive is because we all have oxygen in us, right? Now, what would happen if I said up here, I'm going to stop breathing right now? I've received my oxygen. I'm alive. And the oxygen in me already is doing great work. I'm happy with all the oxygen I got. No more for me. Thank you very much. You guys would think I was nuts. And you'd probably laugh as I grew weak and then passed out here. <laughs> Friends, we're all prone to live like that when it comes to God's word, though. Maybe that's you. The Father's telling you, don't treat your soul that way. You matter so much to God. And he gave you this as soul food. And he provided a pastor to remind you of that. Don't go to church on Sunday, say, great sermon, and then hold your breath for a week. 
Your new life is dependent upon the life-giving word. If you're alive, a new creation, then don't deny yourself what is actually giving you life. Going all day without reading our Bibles should feel like trying to hold your breath for two whole minutes. Sure, some of us can do it, but don't treat yourself that way. Let's do more than survive. Let's actually thrive by coming up with a plan if we're not already doing it for daily Bible intake. James says we're brought to word, brought to life by the word. So we need to be receiving the word regularly. And now we see we also need to be doers of it. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says regular Bible intake is good and necessary to be a complete Christian. The word of God must be an active, busy thing in our lives. Now, I imagine that a lot of us looked into the mirror before we came to church today, right? I did, and I saw, well, I'm not as pretty as I was wanting to be today. I saw some areas in my life I needed to work on before I headed out. James says, we cannot simply read our Bibles in the morning and then walk away and forget what this revealed. Now, some of us may be discouraged at James for saying this. Why? Well, we do read our Bibles daily. Maybe that's what we're doing. We do it every day, but we feel like this man in the mirror. We do our reading, and then five minutes later, we cannot even remember what we just read. Anybody there? <laughs> and we're discouraged. Because if I can't remember what I just read, how can it possibly make any impact on my life? Well, first, my forgetful friend, let me encourage you that you're bearing more fruit than you possibly could know. God is at work all the time in ways that we cannot see. Second, let me suggest to you that your problem is less your memory and more your method. Remember Kevin practicing his chords? Is knowing all the chords going to get him to Carnegie? No. Neither will simply hearing and reading the word. Is that going to get us to our goal? We need direction to our discipline, methods, strategies, to make it impact us. Reading and hearing are like the planting of the scripture in the soil of our hearts. But memorizing and meditation, memorizing and meditation, they're the sun and the rain that actually gives it the growth. Now you may be thinking, Joel, why don't you just ask me to walk on broken glass? I'm so busy already with all that's on my plate. I've got a hundred things to remember and now you're saying that I have more. I've got to memorize and put in my head. Let me put it this way. What if I offered everyone here $500 for every verse you could memorize and then recite back to me? $500 for every verse. Anybody here be willing to memorize a verse or two by next week? <laughs> yeah. Our attitudes about memorizing changes once we see a reward. Friends, if I was a rich man and you now had a Bible memorizing job that allowed you to bank big bucks and just show up on Sunday, that reward financially would be minimal compared to the treasure that you're depositing in your soul. 
reading a passage of scripture and then taking one verse of the perfect law that stands out, writing it down and memorizing over the course of the day, James says will bring you immense blessings. He says it'll bless you. How so, Joel? Well, remember who you are as a new creation. Do you realize that when you walk out of these doors, you're one of the most powerful people on the planet because you have Almighty God dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit. And all the Spirit needs to make this power evident in your walk out there is ammunition. It just needs ammunition. The Spirit does. Remember when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit in Matthew 4 and what happens? He's driven off to the wilderness to battle Satan. And how does Jesus defeat Satan? He guns down the devil with scriptures he had already memorized. Having scripture at the ready is what we need in this battle against the devil and against sin. Notice how James calls it the perfect law of liberty. Now, I suspect we might grant, of course, God's law is perfect. But we may struggle to see how knowing God's law actually gives us liberty. Because we tend to think that laws limit our freedom. I saw a speed limit sign, even though it was slick outside. I wasn't tempted to speed, but it was informing me to stay at or under 35. And when I see that sign, it feels like it's taking away my freedom. But friends, good laws actually liberate us. If there are no laws limiting how fast folks could drive, I would be terrified to go out on the road with my family, with all the wannabe NASCAR drivers out there. <laughs> Knowing that there are laws to make the road safe actually liberates me so I can venture out. And I'll add that God's law also points us forward to our future. Carnegie Hall. Like Kevin, one would be perfect and complete. Ever notice that the Ten Commandments are all future tense? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall not lie. You see, those laws are actually promises. One day you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One day you won't be able to tell a lie. One day when Jesus returns, we will be perfect and complete, freed to actually live as God created us to live. So I just want to encourage you with this text. Come with a plan to memorize new scripture regularly. There are all kinds of plans and methods to memorize scripture. So go back and review the ones you have memorized and Try to learn some new ones. And you're going to have a ready arsenal for the Spirit's use when you're facing temptation or when you're feeling depressed or when you encounter someone who is hurting. Note, James, he calls us to persevere in looking, a Greek word that means to abide in, to be saturated. And that's where meditation comes in, not worldly meditation where you simply empty your mind and create your own reality. No, Christian meditation is is meant to fill your mind with God's truth. Digesting it so that you learn how to live, how to pray, and how to apply it to your life. Think of a tea bag as God's word and your mind as water. If you dip it into the cup and pull it right out, it's going to be very little impact, right? But if you allow God's word to steep in your life, if you allow it to linger just an extra minute or two, what happens? Lingered over a verse. Ask yourself, what is this calling me to believe? What should I be doing? How can I be praying this truth over me, 
or over others. And as we meditate and pray over the word, we actually become newly flavored. We're actually doers of the word out in this world. The Bible brewing in the brain will cause our lives to be flavored so folks see who your father is. Which is where James concludes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James concludes this chapter with three tests of true religion. I know you hear a lot of folks today say, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. James doesn't separate the two. Your religion reveals your relationship and who your father is, which is actually where James began, remember? James told us the father gave us new life through his word of truth so that the Christian will have a rein on his tongue. James told us that it was our Father's will to gift and care for those who are weak and small. So his children will have a desire to do the same for widows and orphans. And if our Father has a purpose in making new creations distinct in a fallen, from a fallen world, then we should live as those who remain unstained by this world. If we were to sum up true religion quite simply, we could say, like father, like child. The Father made us to be like the Son He sent, our Lord Jesus Christ. So true religion is a witness of whose we are and who we belong to. The means to being made more like God's Son is God's Spirit working through God's Word. And that is why taking in our Bibles is so important, my friends. I'll close with a Welsh pastor named Jeffrey Thomas. He writes, Let the Word of God Break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read it no longer. And then you will not need to read the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death, and never again to read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the Word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible, whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for revealing to us once again your plan to make us like your only begotten beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these words from James, which are very encouraging. It makes me want to just dig into my Bible more and more and to meditate on your word, to take it in, and then to live it out, to live as in a new rhythm. That in fact, I might be, be a new flavor to a world that, that needs to see that there is a new creation in this dying one. I pray that all of us will have been encouraged by your servant James and by your word spoken through him. And I pray that you will help us to have new resolve to read your word, to study it, to meditate on it, and to live it out. I pray that you'll help us to 
to help those who are needy. I ask, Father, that by your Spirit's work, we may do great and marvelous things for you, things that we will never see or know about until that day when it's all wrapped up and we get to look back and we'll be just amazed at how you used us for the furtherance of your kingdom and we can celebrate you and what you've done in and through us for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.